so proud of the 32 people who showed up at our Intro to Getting Married class, some of whom were living together, but in response to that message, they said, listen, we want to move into a reality that God can bless. And so, you know, in response to that, we had over 32 people. Right now, the pastoral staff at Evangel are doing more premarital counseling than they have ever done. It's incredible. So I'm just so proud of you people. Really, really proud of you. Uh, then we moved into the virtual real relationships, and then we took on something in our culture that our culture loves to shift the blame, and nothing's our fault. It's not my fault. And we leaned right into that, and we took personal responsibility in week four. Then we moved into this idea of the exclusive nature of God, that, that there's many religions leading to God, and why is there only one? And, and then we followed that up by talking about this trend in society, that, especially in Quebec, that believes marriages can't slash won't last. And Pastor Bill and I gave some truths and tools that you can build a marriage that does last, and not only lasts and survives, but thrives. And then uh, two weeks ago, we ventured into some sensitive areas. Uh, we actually talked about uh, pornography. And, and on that note, I've noticed I've not taken up the offering. So, uh, you know, because pornography was the obvious cue to that, as I see the ushers standing with the buckets. Go ahead, ushers, uh, take up this morning's offering. Sorry, friends, I've left you holding your envelopes. Uh, the, uh, the offering buckets will come around, and they'll take up this morning's offering. But in response to that message, and you know, pornography is a big issue, isn't it? We learned that. There's more revenue produced by the pornographic industry than there is by the NFL, Major League Baseball, and the NBA combined. Isn't that incredible? How you doing, man? Uh, it is incredible. More revenue combined. And out of that, 20 men joined me last Tuesday at 7 o'clock for our X3 Pure uh, and they, they've said, listen, enough. We want freedom in our life. So I'm so proud of the 20 men that joined me. And if you want to join me this coming Tuesday at 7 o'clock, guys, you can do that. This is the last week that you can join me in that. After this week, we kind of close the door on welcoming new people to be part of the group for that journey. But if you want to join me for the X3 Pure, it's this Tuesday at 7 o'clock. You can join the 20 other guys who showed up and said, we want to be free. And now, in response to that, we had a number of women say, this is something we struggle with. So we have ordered curriculum that's just like the men for women, and one of our elders is going to lead that. So ladies, uh, just keep your eye open for us promoting this in the future, where you can journey towards purity in that area of your life. I'm just so proud of the way you've taken steps, friends. You've taken steps to do something about beyond a prayer and beyond a moment. You've taken steps to reinforce freedom in your life. I love that. And then last week, we dealt with same-sex attraction, which was a sensitive issue. But, uh, you know, again, I'm so proud of the way you were willing to dialogue with me about that. Tonight, we conclude our series, if you didn't notice, with Sex Unfiltered. Now, this is a lot of sex, isn't it, friends? I I want you to know, this has not been a series that uh, has been easy. In fact, uh, the ministry staff would know this. I've probably worked harder in preparation for this series than I ever have for any series. It's required so much more work because of the nature of the topics we've been taking on. And I also recognize it's probably required more of you. It's not always easy to talk about uncomfortable things in a group setting. And I'm just so proud of the way that you are willing to process that with me. Uh, But tonight we conclude it by talking about sex as God intended it. And I can't teach about this on Sunday morning because the scriptures that I'll be referencing are so explicit and uh, should be age appropriate and you should be wanting to come to that instead of me putting that on you. So uh, I want you to know that already three people have emailed me from the congregation that want questions answered about it. And when I saw their questions, I turned as red as this poppy. Uh, But I'm going to talk about them tonight. So if you're married, you should come. 
This is going to be uh, incredible as we explore uh, sexuality inside of a covenant relationship between a male and a female, how God says it can be. If you're single, come and see what God says about this. If, uh, but be pre-warned. I'm not going to hold back. So I'm just kind of pre-warning you on that front. That good? Let's get into today's topic. Because, you know, why do we talk about these things? We recognize that trends are powerful, but they're not infallible. And that's the problem with any sort of trend. They take you places you never thought you would go. And when in January I was planning our fall, something was really bugging me, and that's what caused me to do the trending series. I met too many Christians who were telling me what they believed about sexuality, what they believed about faith, what they believed about religions. And I realized it had nothing to do with what the Bible taught. It was what culture was speaking And the truth of every church that is a Bible-believing church or every Christian should be this. We should be culturally relevant, but we should not be culturally reflective. So sometimes Christians get this confused all the time. They come to a church like ours, and they see a band going and media, and they think, oh, this church is so worldly. Well, what's, what's that have to do with being worldly? It's being relevant. You're talking the same language the rest of society is speaking. The difference is... Where is your value systems? You shouldn't be culturally reflective. So we teach the Bible here. Because we do believe that we love God and we believe it has authority. And it speaks and it brings life to people in situations. So this is our kind of go-to place. And so we are culturally relevant but not culturally reflective. So today we're going to end our series by minding your own faith business. Has anyone ever told you to mind your own business? Put your hand up. If anyone's ever said that to you, put it up. Just hold it up like you're proud. Proud. Somebody has said to you, mind your own business. Okay. These are people who stick their nose where it's not welcome, but it may belong. There's a difference, right? Now, what what about this? Have you ever said to someone, mind your own business? And put your hand up. Put your hand up. Some of the very hands that went up for the other went up for this one. Of course. I mean, in life, it's hard not to, right? And especially when it comes to faith. This is a difficult thing for us, minding your own faith business. Because this is the one trend that Christians and people who are not Christians agree on. They both want to mind their own faith business. It's a personal thing. There's a part of us that pushes back and says, isn't it arrogant to share your faith with somebody else as if their faith is not valid? And on maybe a different level, and maybe a more, a more real level, there's a part of us that says it's uncomfortable. It's invading someone's personal space. Everybody has different levels of personal space, don't they? Like Gary, uh, right now we're comfortable, right? But, but, but the closer I get, right, the closer I get, it feels a little bit more uncomfortable. I worked with a guy for years, and I used to call him a close talker. Because he'd be really close to my face. And every once in a while, I'd just go, "Ah, (laughs) let's just back up a little bit. Now I feel better. Well, spiritually speaking, people do that all the time. They're pushing back. And there's a part of us that we push back to because it feels uncomfortable. Christians, often we hear the command of Jesus. And it is a command in Scripture. When he says, go into all the the world and make... Thank you, this side, right here, down front. I knew the keeners were here. Uh, the, the, the disciples, make, make disciples. He says, go make fishers of men, be fishers of men. And there's a part of us that we are not only uncomfortable with that, even some of us intellectually, we, we struggle with it and say, isn't it kind of arrogant? 
Well, before we take that opt-out clause and throw it down, let's look a little bit at what Christianity actually means. Let's take a step back and let's take it from the very beginning so we understand where our place is in this story. See, in the very beginning, the first followers of Jesus, they followed him. It was dangerous. This could cost them their life. They would go into communities and they would write. They're the very first graffiti artists, the first Christians. I think they were anyway. They go into a community and they'd write a moon, half moon, on the side of a wall, on, on, a, on a stoneway, on a pathway. And if they came back and they saw someone else had done the other side and making it into a fish, they knew there was a believer there. They knew there was a Christian there. Because that symbol meant, I believe. I believe. You know, believing, if you take a step back and think about it, it's an interesting word with a lot of implications for a Christian. Because the message of Christianity, and please stick with me for a moment, is, is absurd in some ways. It sounds incredulous and ridiculous in some ways. You believe someone died and came to life again. Like, no, I know because you've heard it many times, it becomes normal. But take a step back and act as if you've never heard anything about Jesus Christ or God. How foreign is that? You mean Jesus rose again from the grave like he was dead and gone for three days and he came back? Yeah. Wow, okay. And even more incredulous than that, he was God. You believe he was God? Was God. So let me get this straight, Jonathan. You're saying that God came to earth, clothed in human flesh, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect and sinless life, and then he let his creation kill him? What? I mean, if that isn't crazy enough, we believe he came for you. Please don't take that personally. I include myself with you. Why would he come for you? Like, what's in it for him? He came for you. How does he even know you exist if he's the all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful, great God of the universe, limited by nothing, and he came for you? And this is in the early Christians. They went from drawing symbols to beginning to boldly greet each other. And they would do it, and it was pregnant with meaning in the way they would greet each other. They'd greet each other, and they'd say, He is risen. And they would respond, he is risen indeed. And in that greeting was a central message of the Christian faith. That at the center of it was this man who broke death. Like death had a stranglehold on every human being and he broke it. There's a, at the center of the story is this, he is risen and you respond? That is lame. Come on, friends. He is risen. Yeah, in the back cheap seats. He is risen. Yeah. And in that story is this moment, it's pregnant with meaning that Christ rose from the grave. And he's risen indeed. With that in mind, let's look at Luke chapter 24. A few verses here, and we'll reflect on it, what it means when we say mind your own faith business. Here we go. You ready? Good. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning... The women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wandering about, the, wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. 
In their fright, the women bowed down and their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, this is great, underline this one. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, and be raised again. Then they remembered his words. There are more people in this room that believe Jesus had risen from the grave than there were in this account in Luke chapter 24. These are the friends of Jesus, men and women, and they visited the tomb one by one to anoint his body with spices and oil out of respect for him, to honor him, to honor the dead. And it's incredible when the, desert, when the angels pushed back and said, why do you go to the, to the graveyard to look for the living? Why do you go among the dead to look for the living? Have you ever been asked a question that's just been plain stupid? Maybe a question that's meant to reveal uh, maybe your, your gap in your intelligence? When you think about this for a minute, the story of God was so compelling in Christ because for years the story had been told this way. God was the creator. He was all-powerful. And he was distant. And mankind had to struggle and scrape to try to get to God. And Jesus comes and says, no, God is near and intimate. He's come to you because you couldn't bridge the gap. You understand how life-changing this story was? But for these first followers, they had lost all hope. This guy who contained all hope, who was truth, he's dead. It's incredulous. Here, and they didn't even know that it was happening. They didn't understand why it happened. You know, I think it's incredible when you think of relationships and you think of a relationship with God. Thinking that, that, that God somehow, in his infinite wisdom and knowledge and who he was, why he isn't the one who gives up on humanity. It's humanity that gives up on him. Have you ever seen a couple and you wonder why they're together? Not because they fight a lot. Because she's here and he's there and it's obvious, right? Or he's there and she's here. And you're going, like, why are they together, right? He must be loaded. He must have a lot of money. I mean, nobody says these things out loud generally, but we thank them, don't we? Uh, uh, You know, we call that interfacial relationships. When someone dates someone outside their attractiveness range, you know? Oh, come on, you don't think about that? You know, we love that because it gives us hope. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) But even worse in a relationship is when you see someone who's pursuing someone and they love them and the love is not returned. It's painful. Uh, And I don't mean to open any old wounds or pour salt in any present wounds, but that's a painful experience when you love and love isn't returned. This is kind of what it's like to be in relationship with God. If you look at God and me, it's an interfacial relationship. I mean, in the attractive reigns, I don't even register. He is God. I mean, he's God. Perfect in every way. And then there's me, <laughs> such as I am. And then to cap that all off, he loves intensely. And I'm fickle with my love. You, can you see a disparaging piece in this relationship? 
It's like the picture that was painted on the Sistine Chapel by Michelangelo. And in it, God is reaching and stretching and trying to touch Adam. And in the picture, Michelangelo crafts Adam as laying back and just barely giving effort. And this is a picture of what it's like to be in relationship with God. Even in our best state, I think we're willing to admit that we are somewhat self-centered. And that maybe perhaps our own brokenness outweighs our wellness. Maybe, maybe at some level you're willing to admit that or own that or, or feel that or, or grab hold of that. And some of us are really reticent of the fact that we have scars and wounds and religion tells us you've got to clean those things up before you come to God. And God says, I love you with those things. Warts and all, I love you. It's incredible, the story of God. But when the angels come and say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? That's a question I think I could answer. I think the women would answer, well, we're not. Well, like, what do you mean? We're not looking for the living among the dead. We came to a graveyard to look for the dead. You know, if you're married, you know what these type of questions are like. They're meant to challenge your intelligence, right? Like, what were you thinking? How do you answer that one to a spouse? Uh, I guess I wasn't. Or what were you doing? I remember uh, when I was a teenager, there was a big staircase leading up to our house, and my dad fell down the whole flight of those stairs through the glass door at the bottom. Everyone in the house ran to the top of the stairs. My mom's at the top of the stairs, and she says, John, are you okay? And he gets up, and he was okay. So she starts laughing and laughing. And then she says this, didn't you see the step? To which my dad said, yeah, I saw the step. I wish he had gone on further and said, I saw the step, but I know everybody uses the step, and I thought I'd be different. I'll just try something different. I'm going to miss the step and see how this works out for me. You know how these questions go? It's like when you lose your keys and somebody asks you, hey, where'd you last put them? (laughs) Yeah, well, if I could figure that one out, right, I wouldn't be in this predicament. And here are these angels asking a similar type of question. They're saying, Hey, why are you looking for the living among the dead? It makes no sense. Except Jesus was never conventional. See, when we're dead, we do dead really well. When Jesus is dead, he does alive. There's something so unconventional about him in this. In the words of Jesus, they didn't see this coming. And you know, if you read the words of Jesus in the Gospels, you realize, how could they not see it coming? In fact, the angels remind them, did you pick this up? Reminded them along the way that Jesus had said to them that he must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, and be raised again. And it says, then they remembered those words. How could they be so blind and deaf to the many times that Jesus said, I'm going to have to die? I'll tell you why. It wasn't trendy. What was trending at that time is Jesus was going to be so popular that he would displace the Roman Empire with a mighty movement of people and he would set his people free. That was the trendy response. Dying was not part of the plan. So they're shocked when Jesus dies. And the angels are going, why are you shocked? I love the story of the road to Emmaus and two disciples barely worth even mentioning And they are despairing in their hearts and Jesus comes cloaked to them. They don't even recognize him. And he said, did not the prophet say this had to happen? But how come they missed it? Because trends are like that. Trends blind you to truth. Trends mask as truth. That's why you need something that goes beyond trends 
It's timeless. It's spirit. It's life. It transforms. And against the backdrop of this, I want to read a couple of pieces of scripture from the Apostle John, and we're going to wrap up this idea of sharing your faith business. John, the beloved apostle, writes in John chapter 1, he says this, through him, meaning Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, you and me are creatures of life. We were in God, and God was in us, and God was life. And sin suffered this source of life from us. So that now we call living right now, we call what is existence life. That's why we're afraid to die. Because many of us have never really lived. But if you truly are come alive and connect with the source of all life in this life, you don't fear death because after death, you're alive. Death is just a hiccup between time and eternity. It changes everything. And there's a part of us, I think, when we come and we look at this, and John continues in 1 John chapter 1, he talks about this life after the resurrection. He says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched and we have proclaimed concerning the word of life. I love that. It's often the word of God is used for condemnation and judgment. And we're reminded here it's always to lead to life. The word of life. He goes on to say in verse 3, and this should be circled, the life appeared. I love that. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life that which was with the Father and appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write to you to make our joy complete. See, Jesus enters into the human story and it's to bring us back to life. The life appeared among us. The word of life appeared among us. And with that in mind, I want you to think of what the angel said. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And maybe in turn, because this series trending has probably pushed a lot of buttons along the way. Why are you looking for life in dead places? Why are you looking for life in dead ideologies? Why are you looking for life in dead popular philosophies? Why are you looking for life in trends that don't lead there? Deuteronomy chapter 30 talks about choosing life and death. In fact, it says this. I set before you life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands and decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Verse 19. This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. I love this. Now choose life. And the life appeared among you. Now choose life. Choose life. So that you and your children may live and that you will, may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. You see, the words of God were so, have been so distorted over the years. 
that we see commands and decrees and we think it's God's efforts to contain us and constrain us and maybe even choke some joy out of us. And we don't realize that anytime there are commands, they always lead us to life. We talked a lot about sexuality, haven't we, these last few weeks? We live in the most sexualized city in this country easily. Uh, Check out a recent article in the National Post comparing Vancouver to Montreal. It's not even close. Not even close. And in Montreal, we look at this uh, idea of sexuality of which we understand better than God. That's what we would say. Could you imagine if we did follow God's commands when it came to sex? How much life would be here? Well, there'd be no unwanted pregnancies. There'd be no sexually transmitted diseases. There'd be no abortion. There'd be no rape. could Could you imagine his way might lead actually to life? But we say it doesn't because we call good evil and evil good. Culture does. And we get swept up in the trend that comes with it because it appeals at some level to our desire. It appeals at some level that something that's going on deeper inside of us. And when he says choose life, he's saying, listen, I made you for life. Choose life. Choose the existence. Don't choose to just exist. Why would you choose death and call it life when I'm giving you life and life abundantly? If you are truly alive before you die, you'll be truly alive after you do. I think if you're like me, there's a lot of this I'd say, okay, God, I'm with you. But why do you have to be so dogmatic about it? Why can't everything be God? Wouldn't it be easier if everything was God? Why, why would Jesus have to say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why, why would you do that? Well, what would you have him do? He wants to lead us to the source of all life. Imagine if you would, we're in a desert. Feel the, toe, feel the sand between your toes. But this is not a fun journey. You've been journeying in the desert. You don't even know how long, but you know you're dehydrated and you're near death. And you keep chasing after mirages because every once in a while you see water and you go running to it and you scoop it up and you fill your mouth with sand. Mirage after mirage after mirage, getting sand, filling our mouths, the dust of the earth. One day you come across a pool of water and it is water. And you get your hands and you, you, you cup them and you quench your thirst and you drink and drink and drink because it's life. And then you look up and you see a multitude that is countless, chasing mirages, chasing after things that promise life and deliver sand. See, why should you mind your own faith business? Well, you shouldn't. Are we content to look and say, Well, if it works for them. Or, I mean, as long as it's okay for them. Or, do you let people die in despair thinking there is no water? That there is no way forward? Or do you get up and fill the container of your canteen and you go and you seek and you offer living water that brings life? See, I think the biggest problem, I'll talk to me first here. I think the biggest problem with me sharing Christ with others is simply that I sometimes don't believe that he is that big of a deal. What I mean by that is my behavior betrays my belief system. And often, if I believed he was the hope of the world, 
that he was water to dry and thirsty bodies. How could I not but help but share him? We watch a Christmas movie every Christmas called The Christmas Carol. Anyone watch that with Scrooge? I met someone the other day who'd never seen it, and he's in this auditorium right now, which I won't embarrass him, Sadofio. But uh, <laughs> I'm saying you got to see it. So Scrooge is a fantastic... I, we watch it every Christmas. And in one scene... Scrooge's business partner. Scrooge lived for himself. He was a, all he was about money and taking care of himself, and he wasn't concerned with the plight of other humans. And in fact, he's confronted by the ghost of his business partner, and, and, his, and basically his business partner wants to say, listen, uh, you need to take care of the rest of humanity, and Scrooge says, it's none of my business. And I love the, the ghost's response. He says this, business, cried the ghost, wringing his hands. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Friends, sharing your faith is your business. You got life. If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then you are the light of the world in this dark place. You are hope. You are water for dry and thirsty land. If you believe that there's no other name under heaven like I believe, that there's no other name under heaven that which you can be saved, then how can you help but not declare there's no other name? Multitudes of names chained to fame. The tenacious, the notorious, religious, and sacrilegious. What images flit across the window of your mind when you hear such names as Socrates and Churchill, Mussolini, Mandela, and Einstein? Do you recall when you hear Hitler? Does inspiration hit you between the eyes when you hear Armstrong? Do you yawn and roll those same eyes when you think of Shakespeare? Names are pregnant with purpose. That's what's in a name. And friends, if I may inquire, what stirs within the recesses of your soul when you hear Jesus' name? An enigma personified. Holy man, holy divine. Took on the lowest name so slaves could reign as kings. Deity who chose to endure mortality so we could enjoy eternity. Why does no other name affect the skeptic, the heretic, and the majestic? The homicidal, suicidal, and the matinee idol. No other name changed nature, mindsets, and matter. Open blind eyes, deaf ears, and heal cancer. No other name came with this mandate. Heaven's kingdom expressed on earth. But if his miracles are just fairy tales, then why do millions gather putting their lives on the line for his name? So the Bible says that name is a treasure in you and you're an earthen vessel. And whenever you invoke that name, there's power there. Power to change a dead life back to life. And this whole series has been about bringing life to dead places. So I think everyone in this room, I see you as a house. And some of us have welcomed Jesus into our homes 
into our hearts and lives. Other people, we crack the door and we invite Jesus to do things for us. But we don't want him in. And sometimes it's because our house is such a mess. You ever invite someone over? What do you do? Clean up. And religion keeps saying, clean up the house before you invite God in. And God's standing at the door knocking, and he's got a mop and pail in both hands, and he's saying, no, 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 no. You need me to help do the cleaning. Don't wait to get cleaned. Welcome me in, and I'll clean. Some of us have welcomed him in, but we've, we've evicted him to a portion of the house, an area of the house. And so I pressed your buttons as we've gone through this series and we've talked about sex and money and all kinds of things in this series. It pushes your buttons because there's the areas of your house that you've said, no, God. And other areas you've welcomed him. So the conclusion of this gathering in these nine-week series, I just want to pray with you. Because I think there are some people that are willing to not, no longer crack the door open, but swing it wide open. I think there are people who are in Christ but they have not allowed Christ in them to be in every area of their life. And I believe there are those that are around Christ and they're ready to open the door. And I just want to pray with you before we conclude this first service, this first moment and this first Sunday in the Montreal Forum together. Would you mind bowing your heads and closing your eyes as we conclude in prayer? I wonder if you would. I'm going to ask you just to respond and maybe you're here and you'd say, listen, Jonathan, over these last number of weeks, I've been journeying with you guys as a church community and, and I wanted to take a step to open that door and invite Jesus Christ to be not only in my life, but to be, bring life to me. That's you. Just raise your hand in the air and you say that I'm taking that step this morning. You'll be joining those in the 9 a.m. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Just go ahead and respond by raising your hand. You're saying, I want to accept Jesus Christ. I want to open that door and I want, thank you, sir. I see that. Yeah. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else want to pray that prayer and make that decision? Okay, I wonder how many with raised hands would say, listen, I'm, I'm a Christ follower, but you know, my buttons have been pushed through this series because I, I recognize that there are, I've really relegated Jesus to an area of my life and there's certain areas I've said hands off God, but there, in this moment you can say, listen, When God says and invites us into something, he invites us to choose life. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand and say, listen, I want want God to have all of it. Thank you. Yeah, there's quite a few. Well, maybe we can use this prayer moment for maybe everyone in the room because even for those of us who are in Christ, you know, it's amazing when you love someone, you have these renewal moments where you just want to say, God, I just want to express my love all over again. So I invite you to take this moment to do just that. Father, thank you for Jesus. There's no name like his. Because his his name speaks about life. A life that was snuffed out and a life that came back. And in that moment, he he took this stranglehold of death that was just choking the life out of us and he broke the stranglehold (laughs) and so great is Jesus that he took the the worst stains in our life and he was able to wash them away so if you're here you can pray this prayer if this echoes where you're at Father thank you for the gift of Jesus you proved to us that you weren't a creator that was distant and far and aloof 
but you were near and intimate in your son Jesus. You came looking for us. And God, I admit that I'm in this interfacial relationship in that, God, you are way better than I am and I don't understand your interest in me, but I am thankful for it today. And today, I just swing open the door of my heart. I invite you to come and scrub out some of the ugliness that is there in my attitudes, in some of my thoughts, and even my deeds. And God, I readily admit there's some broken things in my life. There's broken ideologies. There's broken theologies. There are different broken philosophies. And I pray, God, by your Spirit, you would begin to, through your, as you were broken on a cross, you would bring wholeness to my heart and life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And if you're in Christ, just a chance for you to say, God, I love you. And I want you to have access to every room in my life. So here's the keys. Help me to align my life to the commands in your scripture because I know your commands lead to life. And Father, we just pray for people we know today who don't know you. It's not an arrogance that we share you. It's not because we think we're better than other people because we're just beggars telling other beggars where we found the food. I'm not smarter than anybody else. I'm not, I'm, not, I, I'm not more favored than other people. I'm not more perfect than other people. Flawed and broken as I am, though, you found me. And God, I just want other people to find the water. Because I know what the sand tastes like. And I know where it leads. And I want people to find hope and truth and life. So God, give me a boldness to share your love with others. Give me opportunity even this week. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said.